Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. It's not gray out. I'll take no gray. Yeah, no, no gray. Very sunny. Mid fifties. It's peak Cincinnati weather. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Mid fifties, not gray, sunny out. Is peak Cincinnati weather. It's baseball season. It's baseball is what season. it is. And Your I, outfit today. Are you trying out for the Milwaukee Brewers? No, I'm a player of the Milwaukee Brewers. This is a full-on fit right here. This is Josh Hader. I will, I will watch zero Brewers games this year, but I will support them through and through. It's funny you bring up Hater because I hardly know her. Okay. Uh, you're a hater. That's what you are. <laughs> um, but the Brewers, uh, I, I actually, I think they're going to be good, right? I don't know. I, no I don't idea. follow baseball too closely, I, I as you can don't. tell. But I, I used to play growing up, and I hated this weather. Mm -hmm. Cold baseball is legitimately awful. Like go, growing up playing fall ball, your hands sting. You don't have like good dexterity because yeah. like your appendages start to like, mm -hmm. whatever it is in the cold, you can't really hold a baseball and grip it. So not fun, but they're playing. I actually was never allowed to play baseball as a kid. My dad said- Oh, you've told me this. Before. My dad said the only sports you're allowed to play are what his thought, you know, his version of contact sports were. So he only allowed me to wrestle and play football. He said baseball is for P word that I think is wrongly used as a pejorative these days for fragile human beings. I don't think you can use it anymore. I don't think you can. But he said baseball is for losers. He also said basketball. So the funny thing with basketball too, he said you can't play basketball. It's for losers essentially. Um, and, the re and that's now why I can't dribble right-handed, but I shoot right-handed. Okay. So I'm all off in that regard. So I, I'm a terrible basketball player, a terrible baseball player, wrestled for a bit, played football for a bit. But other things on the Catch and Buzz before we get into that. Mike Quinn, producer Mike Quinn, wants to highlight my Good Morning Football performance again. We put a little highlight reel together. I had a takeaway after that. So after I did that hit, yeah. producer was like, that was brilliant, which was sick. You love that confidence. And he said, stay on to um, you know talk to the people, talk to, talk to the people on there. Schrager gave me a rave review. Brant was awesome. Obviously, he told me yeah. brilliant TV performance or whatever. Then Jane Slater. Guess what Jane Slater said? What she said? Do you have a podcast? Oh. I said, yes, I do. It's called Tailgate. Now, I almost said Hutch, but no, yeah. it's called Tailgate, and you should check it out. She's like, I definitely want to check out your podcast. So, Slater, if you're if you're listening now, really appreciate Hardly it. I know her. I did. I can meet her at Combine. But. <laughs> Slater, I, I definitely know her. Um, now that we're obviously co-hosts on the GMFB, but it was, uh, it was an awesome experience. Jane Slater, appreciate listening to the pod. Uh, off of that, we're getting to get into our offensive tackle rankings, look at the top offensive tackles in the 2022 NFL Draft. Before we do... Our proud sponsors, Manscaped, leading presenting sponsors of this podcast. I talked to Connor Price, who runs our sponsorship vertical here at PFF. Big shout out to CP. He said, Manscaped would love it if we shave your back or chest live on cam. They I don't even would... know if I have back hair. So. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. Well, I do. You know, we know. <laughs> I, <laughs> we, it, maybe we'll shave my chest on cam. It's yeah. hard to say, but they would love it. And they, it could help us lure a sponsorship. I think that's a biohazard. Uh, we're going to have to... I'll have to wear a mask for sure. Maybe a full-on bio suit to do so. If we go one strip, so I got a little chest hair here. You go one strip down all the way to the stomach through the happy trail, sometimes the sad trail, depending on who you're with. That, I do think, could lure us a sponsor into the season. We'll see. The, yeah. true, the only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming and above-the-waist if you like them. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 for your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for the 4340. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off plus for shipping. I'll say this, too. So you probably listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm talking to you. You probably listen to a lot of podcasts, and they all have ad reads on their show. The best way 
to support a podcast that you listen to habitually in your routine is to listen to it every day and subscribe and then rate and review. The second best way is if you we are pitching an ad to something that you need or use, dude, drop a promo code in there, bro. If you're shaving your pubes regularly, let's just call it out. If you're shaving your pubes regularly and that tool, should. that skill position tool is not purchased by mm -hmm. a little discount from your boys here at Tailgate, I'm gonna feel upset. I wanna be a part of that process in the, in the, in the best way. I wanna be a part of your pube shaving process. Because of their ceramic blades, you, want, you want you to think about it. <laughs> think of me when you're preparing for that hot date, okay? And you're getting things ready to rock and roll. Because of their ceramic blade skin safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure cutting the right players and not cut it, you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces of your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board or her headboard. The ladies out there think the long nose hair is a major turnoff. I do have long nose hair. The wee whacker nose and hair. Nose and ear hair trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here? April is also draft season, but it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant into a first-round pick with Manscaped. That is a massive rise that is at your fingertips with code PFF. On to your offensive tackle rankings. We see the class very similar. I think there's an obvious... Actually, your Tier 1 includes an extra player. Mm -hmm. My Tier 1 is only three. You have four in your Tier 1, and I, my Tier 2 has two players. Um, and then we get into some guys that I don't think are immediate starters in the NFL, but there's some things to work with. I think there is Tier 4 and Tier 5 for you are this like flawed two, three-year developmental tier. And I think that's important to call out, too, with offensive linemen regardless of the class, right? You're oftentimes going to only find in any given class two or three maybe four offensive tackle prospects that have the athleticism and size combination plus the, the technique. It's such a skilled position plus the technique to start right away and have any levels of success. Tristan Wirfs is a bit of an outlier in that he had what was what the best rookie season we've ever seen from yeah. an offensive tackle. But oftentimes guys earning 70 to 75.0 PFF grades in their first year is really impressive. Getting to that level, I think there's only a handful of tackles every single year that can do that early on. Other guys are guys that you're developing to be swing tackles out of the gate and move forward. Start with your Tier 1 here. And so my Tier 1, and this tackle class has been billed highly. And it's a good class. To me, I think two years ago was a better class. And we'll get to that in a second with some of the grades uh, and some of the projections. And obviously just how that tackle class has performed from two years ago, it's going to be a tough bill to live up to. But I do think this is a close sort of replica of that class and the talent that they bring to the table. My Tier 1, you said a lot of people's Tier 1 is three guys. A lot of people's Tier 1 is actually two guys. Yeah, Ikea, Kwanu, actually, and Evan right. That's the pretty much the Tier 1 of offense tackles. To me, Charles Cross from Mississippi State is the offense tackle one. Then Iki Aquanu, NC State, OT2. Evan Neal from Alabama, OT3. And then I also include in Tier 1. I'm not sure I've seen anyone else who includes him in Tier 1, but Bernard Ryman, the offensive tackle from Central Michigan in that Tier 1. Um, because he's just – I think he's damn good. I think he has all the athleticism, all the physical ability you could possibly want, was dominant on the football field last year, got better as the year went on. And from everything I've heard, everything I've read, everything I've seen about him – is a hard-ass worker and one of the best in terms of like implementing coaching into mm -hmm. his on-field production. And you saw it. His last five games last year, he earned a 96.7 overall grade. Utterly dominant, as dominant a tape as you'll see it. Now, yeah, you can say competition level all you want. It wasn't great competition level, but this guy, even in the week of practices at the Senior Bowl, lost some one-on-ones, yes, but was the best offense tackle for my money in the actual 
game portions, the the seven on seven, or I guess not seven on seven because that's just that doesn't have offensive line, but the the full team <laughs> portions of the practices that week. So I include him in this. To what to go back to Charles Cross, Mississippi mm-hmm. State offensive tackle, why he's OT one for me. To me, he has the best agility, movement skills in terms of pass protection. He has pass protected for the most times. You've seen him do it, and I go back to the Alabama tape. 66 pass blocking snaps, zero pressures allowed. Now, they weren't all what we call true pass sets. They weren't all going up against uh, Will Anderson, but he had a handful of reps that did, and when he was going up against them, he didn't lose. So that's a rarity for a guy like Will Anderson, who's a who true sophomore will be a top 5 to 10 pick in next year's draft. I, I think pretty comfortably a top 5 pick. Uh, so that's why he's OT1 there. I, I want to spend more time on Charles Cross specifically yeah. and the other kind of top-end guys, like Kwanu, Evan Neal. But for Bernard Ryman, you mentioned you know the people that you've talked to. We can specifically call out you know Paul, Paul Alexander, Alexander is working with him. Also a big friend of the podcast, Hunter Pencal, guy that we've worked with and, yeah. and hung out with a bit on the weekends. He's a big podcast listener, also working with Bernard Ryman. I, I do think my Tier 1 excludes Bernard Ryman because I do think there's still more projection yeah. there for him. Oops. And the age. He's 24. Yeah, and he's, and he's 24. You know what we found out today, too? Big shout-out to one of the most elite minds the in the space, the beast, Dame Brugler of The Athletic, came out with a draft guide that you can go get if you subscribe to The Athletic that has 1,600 players ranked or something mm-hmm. and 400 scouting profiles. He also has ages on every single player. Yeah. And Devin Lloyd comes out. He's going to play this season at 24 years old. Yeah. He's a guy that we struggled to find the age on in this pre-draft process. I think a lot of that's because some of that's being suffocated <laughs> a bit. Devin Lloyd, 24 years old, uh, and Bernard Ryman going to play at the same age this upcoming season. Now, going back to Cross. Can we please kill that he's not a good run blocker? I, I think that is yeah. really lazy analysis. Yeah. And Mike Leach's offense, and we've talked to some evaluators in the NFL and other like coaches and stuff, and they say, ah, people are nervous about drafting another tackle from that Mike Leach offense. They're still getting Andre Dillard vibes. Other guys that have come out of that offense haven't had a lot of success. Even Abraham Lucas, right? Abraham Lucas at Washington State had played in that, um, in that Mike Leach offense a few years ago. They don't run the football a lot, but when they do – the movement skills, the athleticism. I think he's getting drastically – he might be the most underrated prospect in this class, yeah. honestly. He's your OT1. I think Charles Cross could easily be the most underrated off the ta- or underrated player in this class. We talked about the athletics, Bruce Feldman, not even including him in the first round of mock drafts. I've seen him fall as far as 22, 23. He's been in that 32 range as well. Like I do think he might be one of the more underrated prospects in this class. I, I agree, and he's no – flash in the pan either i don't even know if that's the right word i don't know what i'm exactly saying here but this guy was a five-star recruit coming out like at mississippi state you might think oh you know like a developmental tackle like no this guy's been heralded for a while and put it all together on a football field with all the athleticism this past season so yeah i i think charles cross is ot1 it's close i i do think all four of these guys are going to be very good offensive tackles but give me the guy who profiles the best in terms of pass protection to me that's charles cross mm-hmm. Iki Aquanu, second on this list because of just physically how dominant he is. As a run blocker, he is a sure thing. Like He is dominant as can be as a run blocker. 18 big-time blocks this past year. Led the power five in that number, which is the highest-grade run blocks in our system. So pancakes, uh, massive <laughs> movement on double Stop teams, there that for a sort second. of thing. Iki Aquanu, mm-hmm. the, the tape, if you turn on the tape, and you watch his highest grade run blocking snaps. Yeah. It is absurd. He is an absolute bully. People talk about Trevor Penning's run blocking and him putting people in the dirt and him being nasty. Ike Kwanu might be one of the nastiest run blockers in this class too, maybe even yeah. ahead of Trevor Penning. And I've, I've tweeted out a handful of times, looking at 
highest graded run blockers, right? In, in the history of PFF, highest percentage of positively graded run blocking snaps since we started grading college. Number one, Ike Aquanu this past year. Number two, Panay Sewell of Oregon in 2019. Number three, Ike Aquanu in 2020. He's on the list twice. Number four, Christian Derisaw, obviously a first-round pick for the yeah. Minnesota Vikings. And then Tevin Jenkins, the Oklahoma State offensive tackle that the Bears traded up for in 2020. So it is rarefied error how good he is as a run blocker. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No, that's fine. But so the run blocking, but I, c I could also put together a whole clip of him crossing his feet in pass protection. Only a 78.3 pass protection grade this past season. It's why some have called him to move to guard. Um, I, I think he's still probably a tackle, but I, if you draft him, like if you're Lions, you draft him, want to play guard, by all means, play him at guard because uh, he's going to be dominant there as a run blocker for sure. So he's two on this list. Evan Neal is three. And to put into context, like I said, I don't think any of these tackles are as good as the top two from each of the last two years. So on our board, that was Andrew Thomas and Tristan Wirfs back in 2020. And that was Penny Sewell and Rayshon Slater back in 2021. A big reason being, and now one, part of that's just like the grading. I didn't see like the consistency on tape. And to uh, highlight that, Evan Neal, 85.8 overall grade this year. And yeah, he switched positions every year of his college career. Started at left guard as a freshman, right tackle as a sophomore, left tackle as a junior. So that's not like Andrew Thomas didn't do that. Tristan Wirfs didn't do that. Okay, but... 85.8 overall grade is not the dominance snap to snap that we saw from Tristan Wirfs, 92.3 overall grade, and Andrew Thomas, 92.7 overall grade, even Jedrick Wills, 88.8 overall grade. I do think that Evan Neal, like the, the guys at the top of this class, are a clear delineation in terms of certainty, how good I feel about them, despite them being like, I just saw Gil Brandt's draft board had him 2 3 4 these three tackles on his draft board. And that, to me, speaks more to the top-end talent of this class, not to how good these tackles actually are. So I think they're all clear tier behind. Uh, Evan Neal, though, just balance issues. He gets top-heavy. He is very tall for an offensive tackle, over 6'7". You do start to worry about guys when they get to that height, about how they can play low and stay on balance. And so you saw that all over his tape at times. I still love the athlete. I still think he's a fantastic mover at his size. And I love that he has lost weight, dropped about 15 pounds even already this offseason to get into a better sort of shape to play at the NFL level. But I still do have worries about that that I didn't see on Cross's tape and Aquanu's tape as much. Where do you think ultimately Iki Aquanu goes? Right now, the NC State offensive tackle, his prop is set at three and a half. I think you can bet the under at minus money on DraftKings Sportsbook. Do you think he's a lock to go in the first three picks? Because I don't think he's going to Jacksonville. Okay. And Detroit obviously already has two tackles. That makes it like is Houston taking him or not, yeah. right? At that three. Well, spot. I need to know the religious affiliations of the tackle before I say <laughs> which one Houston's going to draft. Kidding, obviously, or maybe not. But I, I do, I do think if I'm Houston Texans, that I'm looking at the tackle position now. Obviously, I'd lean Charles Cross. They just said that he's OT one for me. But I'm looking at the tackle position because that is a very valuable position. I'm also looking at this and saying I have four guys in tier one. I would love to trade down and still get a tackle Fair. because yeah, I think there's going to be a lot drafted, but you can trade down four or five spots and still get one of these tackles. So uh, that's what I would do if I was the Houston Texans. Now, which one you're going to, are they going to draft? I literally have zero insight into what. Fair. No, that's fair. <laughs> I think I think there's more value on the over than there is the under with that prop, right? Because you're essentially saying, are the Houston Texans taking him? And they could be looking at a handful of players there. I don't think he goes to Detroit. I don't think he's the number one overall pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And at that point, 
when you're getting minus money on is this team taking this player, I, I think you go the opposite side, right? I think you go over as good as Iki Aquanu is, and he's going to be um, on the Ari Mayorov show here on PFS Podcast Network in the near future. So he's a phenomenal dude, one of my favorite players to talk to in this class. And, and to tie a bow on sort of this tier one, everyone knows Evan Neal, freak athlete, number one Bruce Owens freaks list. That one's obvious. Iki Aquanu, again, you watch his tape, you see it every single time it shows up. But Charles Cross got underrated in terms of his athleticism. Goes 4.95 in the 40, 34 and a half inch arms, 10 and three quarters inch hands, which are good size for an offense tackle. And then goes 4.61 in the short shuttle, nine foot four in the broad jump, 26 inch vertical, 17310 split. Like he has athleticism, literally all the athleticism you could possibly want. And same thing with Bernard Ryman. That's why I put him in this tier one because the tape was already very good in my opinion. Yes, he's a little on the undersized, 303 pounds, but he's already gained like 60 pounds to get to that 303 pounds. Yes, his arms are just a shade below 33 inches, but another guy, big hands, 10 and 3 eighths inch, 505, 40, but with a 173 10 split. And Dane Brugge is actually beast. He had him at a 169 10 split, which is insane for an offense tackle. 30 bench press reps, 31 inch vertical, 9 9 broad jump, 432 short shuttle, and 7343 cone. All those numbers above the 90th percentile for the position. This is an elite athlete. That is why I'm putting him up in this year because elite athletes tend to do well. And again, especially with ones who have already taken coaching the way Bernard Ryman has. Yeah, Bernard Ryman is someone you're obviously playing your flag on, right? Top 15 player on yeah. PFS draft board. You don't see him now consistently mocked in the first round. Could be a guy that someone's getting in the second round that they are going to be getting a steal. Your tier two is one man, one, one man, man alone. It is Trevor Penning yeah. of Northern Iowa, who I think has been talked about a ton in this pre-draft process, really since his senior bowl performance nasty player got into a handful of fights there at the senior bowl you know there's that rep where he throws a dude yeah. into desmond ritter's leg that's been promoted that's on a handful of not accounts. good not good <laughs> led the fcs i think at the offensive tackle position in yeah. penalties he's got this demeanor i've had him on this podcast and he watches saw before games to get into the mentality so Fuck. this guy is just a monster that makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense right and you yeah. talk to offensive line coaches and even just evaluators in the nfl that is an uncoachable trait it is an uncoachable trait to be as nasty and as physical as Trevor Penning. And that's honestly how evaluators do it, right? People, you know, you've talked about this, right? How, how important is finishing? How important is being a nasty player and having that demeanor? There are a lot of evaluators in today's NFL that really prioritize that, right? They really mm -hmm. want big, mean, physical offensive tackles. I'll fix his pass protection. You know, I'll fix his technique. Give me a big athlete that's mean and nasty, and I'll, I'll make him into a, you know, a first-round caliber player. Yeah, and... You, don't, you won't find many bigger, meaner athletes and more athletic, I'll say, than Trevor Penning. So that's why he's kind of in this tier on his own because I, I do like him as a prospect. I, I think it's only kind of a matter of time before he does figure it out at the NFL level. Like, it's all there. That is a offensive line coach's dream, but he is not close to figuring it out. Like to me, Bernard Ryman is far more along in his development and far closer to producing at the NFL level than Trevor Penning is. And you saw that, I believe at the Senior Bowl in the one-on-ones where he wasn't particularly great. Saw that during the game when he only earned a 54.1 overall grade over the course of that game. And the worry with me, and you bring up the nastiness, you bring up that sort of ferocity he plays with. He goes over the line too much like he almost killed Desmond Ritter just because for, <laughs> out of sheer wanting to kill the guy across from him he had 16 penalties this past season in 12 games an insane rate for an that over, is absurd and had 
six penalties the year prior to that in half a season because they didn't have a full season, and 12 penalties the year before that. He is the most penalized offensive lineman I've ever seen as, as a prospect coming out. And I, will, I ch- went back and looked at all the penalties, and here they were. He had an illegal man downfield that was actually on him. He, that he, got, he went down early on a play that he probably shouldn't have. A holding, a false start, a personal foul, personal foul, false start, false start, personal foul, personal foul, false start, holding, personal foul, holding, holding, illegal man downfield, false start. How many personal fouls is that? That would be five personal fouls that he committed in 12 games. That's, That's insane. <laughs> that, and if you go look at like PFF war, wins above replacement, it is difficult to – penalties kill drives. Like penalties, it is difficult to overcome. They're basically sacks. So when you have 16 penalties, you have basically committed 16 sacks over the course of a season that like are drive killers, that they are very negatively uh, accounted for plays in terms of wins above replacement because it's difficult. You have to pass protect uh, – that's like I said. It's basically just adding 16 uh, negatively graded pass protection plays to your tape when you have 16 penalties like that. So that is a big worry for a guy like that. His run blocking tape's awesome. I have no doubt that him at the next level is going to be able to move people still with how athletic he was and to yeah. put some numbers to how athletic he is. Six seven three twenty five, four eight nine forty. 9-3 broad jump, four six two short shuttle, and a seven two five three cone for again not a small tackle. So he's a freak for sure. Has the mentality for sure. It's just, I don't know. I, I don't feel as confident. You know, yeah. Yeah. level of competition. He's already 23 years old. He, you know, he's only one year younger mm-hmm. than Brian Ryman. He's fifth year coming out. So a lot of worries there for a guy like that. That, yeah, it's just to me, the tier one are early first rounders. The tier two is a later first rounder. Do you, I have two questions for you. One's from the YouTube chat, actually. Mm-hmm. The first one I have is, do you think 17 to the Los Angeles Chargers is too rich for hit, for Trevor Penning? I think I've seen that mock consistently. That's with Charles Cross, Evan Neal, and Icky Aquanu off the board. You'd probably take Ryman in I'd that spot. That is, is, is that 17 spot too rich? It is. I, I would lean wide receiver class at that point if I'm the Chargers. Now, you know, beggars can't be choosers to a degree. They really need offensive tackle. But to me, Penning's not the guy to come in and fix your offensive tackle position year one. Mm-hmm. So you really need offensive tackle. I'd rather go stopgap OT than to try to you know go sign Riley Reef or something. Yeah. Um, go even sign Brian Balaga back and pray he gets healthy. But I don't know something like that before I would lean Trevor Penning at seventeen. I just think he's more of a mid to late twenties guy. That I would this start. one, this one's from the chat. I don't remember who specifically called it out. Oh, Maximilian in the YouTube chat. Appreciate everyone who watches live here on Tailgate. He said, "Does Penning have the highest ceiling?" I mean, everyone talks about the athlete and all that stuff. I know you hate bringing up ceiling. Hate bringing Am up I ceiling. willing to say he doesn't have no. a higher ceiling than any of the guys in the top four? This is not a ceiling floor prospect, in my yeah. opinion. I don't think anyone – I guess, you know, theoretically – theoretically, yes, he is the best testing athlete of the bunch. So, yeah, that perspective, sure. But I don't think any of these guys' ceiling is anything short of all pro. Yeah. That's like that's the kind of athletes we're dealing here with all of these guys. I mean, it's one of the best position groups so, in this class, right? Where would yes. you grade this position group among the rest? So it's that's the thing. It's, it's just so top-heavy mm-hmm. that I do think it's probably – I think I ranked it fourth behind edge, linebacker, and – actually, it, it might have been third. Nice. I think it was edge, linebacker, and OT. 
from tier one, tier two, before we get into tier three, tier four, and tier five, going to shout out the proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. It's Western Southern. You can see them on the studio back here. Tailgate Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps you advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Before we press forward here, Western Southern also sponsors, obviously, the Western Southern Open. Another big event today outside of football is the Masters. Trivia question for you. Oh, yeah. The Super Bowl in 2021, or 2022, I guess, had 155 million viewers. How many viewers does day one of the Masters get? Day one? Or no, the last day of the Masters. Sunday? Sorry. 15 million. 9 million last year. Oh, well, last the year, Tiger Super Bowl, wasn't in it. If you ask major golfers, the Super Bowl, they, I asked someone today that said, got to be double that. Someone said double Wait, that. Wait, you're joking. So, someone's like, the, the perception of the Masters, in my opinion, I know it's a major event. I'm not, I, golf is a major event. The Masters is the biggest one of it. But just seeing that, that's insane. What, what was 19, though? You know, what was 19 So Masters the biggest won? Masters, I looked it up. You know what the biggest Masters was? Was it? 1997 oh, when Tiger, Tiger won. Was when he was I think it was 20. like 23 million. 23 million people watched that final day of the Masters. And it's crazy to see. And I think that speaks to just the lack of growth golf has had in terms of adding viewers that the peak is 1997. You look at football in comparison to that, Super Bowl in 1997 is probably half of what it is in 2022. Obviously, football doing a much better job of marketing their product and all that kind of stuff. But, man, Tiger means everything to the Masters. I mean, golf just, when it's an individual sport, it relies on individuals being dynamic forces of character and shit ain't a lot I, mm-hmm. I mean i grew up golfing i do have, grew up doing competitive golf and let me tell you some of the the odd dudes you'd see at tournaments when you went to like bigger tournaments like especially at that age when i was probably like 10 11 12 you would see kids who were just like not mature yeah to the degree that the majority of the 10 11 12 year olds were because well they if you spend all day alone playing golf you don't interact with other human beings totally it's a weird sport Let's get to tier three here off of the masters off the Western Southern proud sponsors of this podcast. Your tier three. I'm going to read it off to you and you have to pick the name here. Abraham Lucas, Washington state offensive tackle, Kellen Deesh, the Arizona state offensive tackle, who I believe was at the East West shrine bowl. And then mm-hmm. Tyler Smith, the Tulsa offensive tackle who was at the senior bowl. I think Abraham Lucas was at the senior bowl as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think all those guys had, East, or yeah. had, had all-star Luke, bowl Lucas had a great, Lucas had a great week mm-hmm. in terms of just like pure pass protection over the course of practices he was the best for my money at the offensive tackle position that week and then he goes to the combine knocks it out the water man 4-4 short shuttle and a 7-2-5-3 cone for a 315 pounder that is 98th percentile both of those figures he can move in pass protection his hand i put him in this tier two though because his hands are really still a work in progress four years of run blocking in washington state and he's really still raw in that regard like he is still big time project but it rolls around to the middle of the second round and i'm still in need of offense tackle this is the guy i'm looking for because mm-hmm. i tend to lean towards the guys who yeah they're athletic project yeah they're like quote unquote projects with their technique but even with questionable technique still a 91.0 pass blocking rate still mm-hmm. got the job done only nine pressures last year on 477 pass blocking snaps so he still gets the job done despite needing some coaching yeah, he's another guy who's 23, been at, was at Washington State for seemingly forever. So he's starting all the way back in 2018 for them. But love the pedigree, love the athleticism. Uh, I think he could be a starter in the league for a long time. And 
like I said, he's probably a middle of the second kind of guy. Kellen Deesh is the one I, I that's another I, plant your flag player. I think you I, really yeah. like Kellen Deesh. I really like Kellen Deesh. Again, it comes back to what I value at tackle position, which is far more athleticism than pure raw power. I don't think anyone raved about David Bakhtiari's ability to move people coming out of Colorado, you know, at 299 pounds, but he's probably been the best pass protecting offensive tackle in the NFL because he can fucking move. Like that, that to me is far more important than your pure unadulterated physical prowess of moving the man across from you. So Kellen Deesh, I mean, his physical prowess is another guy. Insane. 48940. 4-4-3 short shuttle. And again, the short shuttle is the drill you want to look at for offensive tackles when it comes to projecting pass direction at the next level. That is mm-hmm. being able to locate guys in space. That is being able to stay in front of Von Millers of the world. A 4-4-3 short shuttle is 96% off of the offensive tackle position. So yeah, he's got a weird ass build. He is six seven three zero three. We stood next to him at the Shrine Bowl, and I can't say I've ever seen a guy. You know how most people's shoulders go down towards their waist, like his, a triangle. Yeah, like a triangle. His was like an, a pyramid. His waist came like into his shoulders almost. Like it was obviously an optical illusion. I don't think they actually did, but <laughs> you expect it to. And when it doesn't, it just looked odd. I feel so like it didn't help that he wore the shoulder pads. He wore tiny that, shoulder, yeah, the, the Michael who, Bennett shoulder pads. Yeah, the Michael Bennett shoulder pads. I don't know why he's flexing that shoulder broad because <laughs> they yeah, made dude, it look him cover those bit things weird. up, man. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it did. But so he has a, a weird build, and he's six seven, a high cut guy, but exceptional in pass protection this last year. And yes, it took him a while to see the field. He spent three years at Texas A&M where he didn't even crack the starting lineup. Goes to Arizona State, has obviously the weird 2020 year where they only played like four games. But this year, eight pressures allowed all year, 89.4 pass blocking grade. And he is 24 years old, another guy on the older side. So I tend to maybe go for the older guys, but you go to the Shrine Bowl, watch this tape. He didn't lose a rep in pass protection, quite literally, we charted them all. Did not lose a rep. 99.3 pass blocking grade and pass protection at a showcase that favors defenses in the one-on-ones. Like, that should not be possible. He didn't lose a rep. And, yes, it's not the sort of competition you'd face at the Senior Bowl. It's the lower – it was the lesser of the two talents this year. But, my God, Kellen Deesh dominated. Utterly dominant in terms of pass protection. So, again, it comes back to what I believe translates at the next level, and it is the movement skills – and again, he's no slouch himself mm-hmm. in terms of like explosiveness. 33-inch vertical, 9-2 broad jump. Those are 91st percentile and 81st percentile, respectively. I, I do think that this guy is going to be a starting tackle in the NFL for a long time. And again, if you can find an average starting left tackle in the NFL, that is worth a first-round pick usually. Mm-hmm. And now the uncertainty of that and the age factor, whatever, is moving him down. But I would spend a late second, early third on this guy. So that's he's also my tier three here. Tyler Smith, last guy in my tier three. To frame Tyler Smith, Tyler Smith is a guy that I desperately want to bet on in the NFL. Desperately. Six foot five, 325, turns 21 years old this month. Yeah. Turns 21 years old this month, is entering the draft process as an underclassman coming out of Tulsa, which you never see. You never mm-hmm. see for offensive linemen. You've talked about this a thousand times, right? The developmental curve for offensive linemen as you get older is when you start to see success. This guy, as a true freshman at Tulsa, played 200 snaps, 74.8 PFF grade. Then in his second season there, in a COVID-impacted abbreviated season, improves his grade to 86.2 and 88.4 run blocking grade. And then this past year, 92.1 PFF grade and a 90 
83.9 run blocking grade. Everyone's going to talk about Ike Aquanu and his explosiveness and what this guy does as a run blocker. Tulsa's Tyler Smith at 20 years old was doing some insane things in college football this past year. This is a developmental arc I'm betting on and athleticism and all that stuff I'm betting on. I tend to agree. And another guy, second round, all three guys I would probably put in the second round range. And for Tyler Smith, 21 big-time blocks. Three more than Ike Aquanu. Led the nation last year. He had the craziest rep I saw from any prospect on tape where he got, he turned a bull rush rep where he was lost initially, got, gets flat-backed, anchors, and yes. then pancakes the opposing <laughs> defensive end. You never see that. He, he has special phys- physical ability for a 327-pound tackle. This ain't no small guy. And again, Trevor Penning's 325 pounds, but he's three inch, about three inches taller than Tyler Smith is. So 327 pounds is a load of an offensive tackle, 34 and a quarter inch arms, 10 and three quarter inch hands. And he had a 465 short shuttle. For a guy that size to go 465 in short shuttle is insanity. He is physically very gifted. But again, pass protection is, he's the, I call him the, the group of five Vicky Quano. They're, they're very similar as prospects. It's just you saw Icky already do it against better competition. Tyler Smith, you just really don't know. Mm-hmm. And he's and he is less and he is even further behind along the developmental curve than even Icky. So big fan of his game. Wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in the first round because of that, because NFL teams value trades so much. But man, he's a hashtag fun to watch. Him and Icky are probably the one two for the tackle position. Maybe Trevor Penning in there too. But it's a it's a yeah. tough class to decide which one's the most fun. Six foot five, three twenty-five, with an eighty-three inch wingspan, eighty-fifth percentile for offensive tackles, thirty-four inch arms, over ten inch hands, a one-seven-one ten-yard split, ninetieth percentile among offensive tackles, according to mock draftable. Some of his comparisons: Kyle Long, Ike Aquanu, Charles Cross, these other athletic players, Panay Sewell on the list, Robert Hunt on the list. Group of five, Ike Aquanu, I think might be the best way you've described him. I actually have him ahead of Lucas and ahead of Dish because I'm betting on that upside, right? I think Dish is a better offensive tackle now. I think Abraham yeah. Lucas is a better offensive tackle now. Tyler Smith, to me, what he can be, you know, we had a question in the YouTube chat about ceilings. I think he can be absolutely insane in the NFL. I'm taking some questions from YouTube today. Drew Forsyth said, is the creep back towards normal take on offensive line, right? We talked about this a little yeah. bit. Is that a Steve thing or is that a PFF thing? And then do you agree with that? Well, I mean, Steve that? says it a lot. <laughs> it's definitely a majority Steve thing, but I do, I do think you just need average at tackle. Like average is so valuable. You see average tackles getting paid $13, $14 million a year. So like a Donovan Smith yeah. is making that much. And he is probably the 14th to 15th best left tackle in the NFL. That's average. Yeah. You know? And that's $14 million a year. So if you can find average at tackle, you have saved yourself a lot of money. And it goes back to the Timo article that we've referenced a lot in terms of you know surplus value gained. The guys who are average tackles go in the first round. Like, there's not a lot of average tackles found after the first round. So, again, that's kind of that tier three right there, tier one, tier two, tier three. Those are the tiers where I think you're going to, if you're going to take a guy in this draft, you want one of those three tiers because I'm not sure you're going to, chances of finding a starter after that just seems low to me. On to Tier 4 and Tier 5. Remember, after this, we're going to get into interviews with Bo Melton, my favorite. One of my favorite day three types on uh, coming out of Rutgers receiver. He talks a lot about his game, who he watches. He brings up Amari Cooper, too. I talked to so many receivers, 
everyone Watches brings more. up Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs. Cooper gets slept on, man. Oh. Cooper at the release is, is hot. And then the other guy I talked to is Nick Benito, who didn't get an opportunity to go to a Senior Bowl or an East-West Shrine game because didn't graduate. He was a redshirt junior, needed to graduate to meet, be eligibility. I think he would have blown it, blew it up if he did go there. Yeah, uh, one of the more skilled pass rushers in this class. Some teams see him as a off-ball linebacker in their defense, but a lot of them see him as a 3-4 outside linebacker or 4-3 defensive end. Those interviews at the back end of the show. Go ahead and read off Tier 4 here. Okay, Tier 4 starts with Southern Utah's Braxton Jones, a guy who I truthfully did not watch on tape prior to the Senior Bowl. was very impressed with him at the Senior Bowl. He had highest, one of the highest run-blocking grades at the Senior Bowl. He's 6'5", 310, 35-and-3-8-inch arms, 10-and-a-quarter-inch hands, and he had a 169-10 split in the 40. Insane build for an offensive tackle. Standing near this guy, his legs look, were smaller than some of the tight ends massive upper half mm -hmm. he had the second largest wingspan behind only daniel falale in the draft class oh my gosh and falale is literally an alien yeah. that's the minnesota offensive tackle that weighed in at what like 400 pounds or something, or something. let's read off falale real quick Dude, you're, you're uh, we're gonna get to falale he's in this tier too okay i, I think i'm off falale oh no you want to hear his testing numbers yes have you seen him no 710 broad jump fifth percentile no way 710 710. That's one of the lowest I've heard. I think I could hit 710. Uh, 506 short shuttle. That's fifth percentile. 8473 cone. That is first percentile. And a 564 yard dash. That's insane. That's so remember, he's six foot eight, 384. He had to get down to 384. I yeah. talked to at the, uh, I believe it was at the Senior Bowl, I talked to head coach of Minnesota, PJ Fleck. He said he got down to 384. This dude's a huge monster, 85 and 1 eighth inch wingspan, 35 and 1 eighth inch arms, and 11 inch hands. But when you're that big, it can be hard to move. This is not, yeah. so the Makai Becton comparisons can probably die. Yeah. Because Makai Becton was an window. insane athlete for his yeah. size. Daniel Falele is huge and maybe not the athlete yeah. that you hope to be and it's 30 inch vertical is actually 64th percentile mm -hmm. but like most of that is probably because he wears like probably size like 24 inch shoes and, and you you measure your vertical from a standstill and he probably gets like you know a good 12 inches off of those so not nearly the athlete that he was kind of being billed as i just don't see the i don't see it i don't see sort of the i don't see i might even throw him into tier five when it's all said and done those are just untenable numbers. Yeah. Find me any guy who's like. Is there any hope from at guard? Like, I, I, can you put that big of a that's person too tall at guard? For yeah. A guard, honestly. And like, yeah, Orlando Brown got knocked for his athleticism coming out, but even he was a seven eight seven three cone, almost a full second faster. Like his only his worst one was the short shuttle, but like he was better in pretty much every other drill than Falele. So, yeah, that's that's those are scary numbers for a tackle like that. That's already. You know, that's billed as a developmental tackle. That's not – wasn't good on tape already, whereas Orlando Brown was good on tape also coming out. So that's my thoughts on Falele. But Braxton Jones, to go back to him, uh, I mean, his tape, you can't glean much from him at Southern Utah. But, again, very impressed at the Senior Bowl. Thinks he, I think he uses his hands really well. Obviously raw in pass protection, never really faced anyone like the guys he did at the Senior Bowl. But I, I thought his location ability in space and just the athlete was very impressive. So he tops that Tier 4. Nicholas Petit Friere is in this tier as well. He's a guy who, you know, we talked about um, Benito not being able to go to the Senior Bowl. Petit Friere declined a Senior Bowl invite, which to me was head scratching considering he allowed eight pressures against Michigan, six pressures against Penn State, five pressures against Nebraska. He had some ugly, ugly tape this past year as a redshirt junior. 
um, 26 pressures at left tackle. I like the athlete, but they didn't test all like on tape. I think he can move people like he has the power kind of that all around pedigree, but testing wise was nothing special by any means. I mean, only his 40 yard dash of five, one, four was the only thing above uh, 50th percentile for the position, 25 inch vertical and eight, seven mm-hmm. broad. So like nothing special. So I don't know. He's him and Rashid Walker, the Penn state offense tackler, two guys who are in that just like look the part enough. Haven't had the tape, the part though, mm-hmm. like they look like guys who start in the NFL. Their tape is not of guys who start in the NFL. So those are concerning to me. They're, that's why they both end up in this tier four. And then I also threw Max Mitchell, the highest graded offensive lineman in college football actually last year. And actually, he might have been second grade, highest grade offensive tackle at the very least. Yeah. I think Tyler Linderbaum is the highest graded offensive lineman. Louisiana knows what they're doing in the trenches, man. I yeah. like that coaching staff. I think they've done a good yes. job just developing some bullies. Exceedingly well coached. Uh, that is for sure. 94.8 overall grade. Really only faced one good team, you know, power, one power five team, I shouldn't say good team, one power five team in Texas last year. And against Texas, only one pressure allowed. And that was actually after he flipped to left tackle mid game and allowed that pressure. So I think he's very technically sound, but if we're raving about all these athletes prior to this tier, this is one guy who I worry if he has enough yeah. to make it at the NFL level. 8093 cone. 25 inch vertical, 532 40 yard dash, and he's only 307 pounds. He's an undersized tackle to begin with. So you better be athletic if you're an undersized tackle at the NFL level. He is not, and he really got dogged at the Senior Bowl. He, he had a rough go of it, and he wasn't even like moving around. He was playing right tackle. That's yeah. where he played at Louisiana and didn't really. I was going to ask you, do got you think. overpowered just far too often. Do you think there's a chance of him sticking at guard? I just don't, I don't see. I don't think it alleviates his issues, honestly. Yeah. It's like a, a strength issue. Okay. It is the biggest thing with him. Yeah. And it's like DTs are stronger than edges, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, his movement, like in space, I, I'm not particularly worried about. That's not the worst thing about his game on the edge. I think he can hack it there. Obviously, pass protection is not as big a deal on the interior as it is on the edge, but mm-hmm. like. I think he's still a tackle, but I just think he's a guy who I'm a little hesitant to buy, completely buy into the tape after what I saw at the Super Bowl. Your last tier here, in, I, I'm, I'll let you read the names. You include a lot of guys that have like wild frames, like Obina Ezzi of yeah. TCU, Luke Tenuta, who's like a former pitcher, like six foot nine <laughs> offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech, Bam Olasini, who drew rave reviews like, from, from England, right? Played for Utah this yeah. past year. Uh, sloppy. Not, sloppy is the wrong word. Just inexperienced right i mean you just don't see a polished player on tape but insane wingspan insane measurables also has a septum piercing which i think i don't know if any other offensive tackle in this class has one that's a separator that's a difference maker but this tier five who are your favorites and and give it to me yeah tier five is like fifth sixth seventh rounders these are pure projects pray they can become swing tackle sort of guys um probably the most intriguing to me is spencer burford from utsa Uh, i thought he looked he has the athleticism probably the he's probably the best athlete of this bunch him and Dari rosenthal but like Dari rosenthal is 290 pounds the kentucky offensive tackle he's 290 pounds and he has uh nine inch hands for an offensive tackle which is tiny like not a lot of guys getting by i believe that was bottom five percentile not a lot of guys getting by at that but burford's only 21 years old um another guy who's very good athlete i thought he moved really well has the length has all that so 
he's in that tier. Ryan Vandermark from Connecticut is another guy in that tier. I was impressed with how he moved at the Shrine Bowl. I thought he held up very well. And at Connecticut, maybe not get the best coaching considering the state of that program. Vidarian Lowe is probably the last guy in this tier, the Illinois offensive lineman that I would really like consider at some point, you know, maybe entering starting conversation at some point during his rookie deal. He's a four-year starter at Illinois. Um, I thought he moved really well in the run game. I think he still has issues in pass protection. I mean, shit, if you're at this point in the draft, you have big issues in pass protection, but moves really well in the run game and has the length that you want, 35 and 3-8-inch hands. So, like, there's something there. Just it is worrisome that four years as a starter, he's still a massive project. So there's your tiers of the offensive tech class. Again, get one in tier one, in my opinion. And if you're going to want to find a starter, probably ends in tier four. But ideally, tier three is still guys I feel confident that will end up starting at the NFL level. Hearing you say that, I know every offensive tackle class is different, right? Some are deeper, and you got more you know, starting caliber players in your tier four and your tier five. But hearing you say that, when you really map, you know, when you really look at it, you know, get your starters in tier one, two, three. That essentially means there's eight guys here. There's eight guys at the offensive tackle position that you can draft for and, 32. Yeah, and can Seems. come in and, and and start. You know, and you're not even saying Kellen Deesh will be an all pro, right? Yeah. You're saying can come in and start. That, in my opinion, again, speaks to how important it is to prioritize positional value and prioritize high value positions. Because yep. to get a average to above average starting offensive tackle in the NFL on the open market, you're gonna have to pay 20 million plus dollars. Like you're going to have to pay a lot of money to go get that player. So I think um, it, it, it's it's it, it continues to ring true, right? This mm -hmm. conversation around go get high value positions in the draft because it's going to pay off more often than not. You can go get starting caliber off ball linebackers in day two, day three in this draft. You can go get starting caliber interior defensive linemen on day two and day three in this draft. If you want high value positions, offensive tackle specifically, you're going to need to lean into the top eight guys. And then it goes back to just sort of how the position, the nature of the position. You have a liability at, say, defensive end. That guy just doesn't get pressure. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a liability at defensive end, okay, cool, you have three other guys who can do it. You have a liability at offense tackle, he allows pressure every single time. You know, if you have a guy who cannot pass protect, that is every single drop back pass snap, you have to account for him. And so that is why we say, draft that position early. You know, like draft the guys, make sure those positions are solid because of how much they can wreck your team when mm -hmm. they aren't up to snuff. Whereas one defensive end, one, you know, defensive tackle, you can get by with below average at with the three other guys being able to create on the defensive line. That is decidedly not the case. Last question from the YouTube chat, and then we'll jump to the interviews with Bo Melton of Rutgers and Nick Benito of Oklahoma. This is from Sikla. Is the 40 overrated? Some guys know how to run it. Some guys don't. I was watching Bell, and he was all over the tracks with David mm -hmm. Bell of Purdue. He probably ran a 4.5, not a not a 40, given the path he took. Is I I would you we've had these conversations before. We do these podcasts in the summer where we highlight the most important position drills at the combine. We highlight the most important or most predictive traits or measurements you can take for offensive you know offensive players and defensive players. And oftentimes the 40 is probably the most overrated, and it's because of the glitz and the glamour it gets 
from the media spectacle that is the combine. The only drill they consistently show at the combine is the 40. It's the only one you get live yeah. times for, right? Broad jump is a highlight thing. Vertical jump. They don't even show three cone and short shuttles anymore. And then they show the drills. It is overrated purely from a media perspective. Now, is it overrated in NFL circles? Probably not. I don't think evaluators are overrating <laughs> the 40-yard dash, but I would 100% agree that it's overrated in media because of, again, how rated it is, right? How much how much attention it does get. Well, so to go back to Dave Belch for a second, he said four six five. He probably was more of a four five guy. He went he ran his pro day and went four seven one. So he was actually even slower at his pro day. So that's kind Not of yikes, yikes for him. <laughs> but to me, forty like the best way to view you know combine drills is in totality. Like you want the Composite, entire athletic yeah. picture, like one one number. I don't care what that number is. Now, if it's a complete outlier, it's yeah, it's concerning because like when you run a four or eight or whatever at a wide receiver, you're just who I don't care what you're doing, you're not going to run past a guy. But so if it's a complete outlier, yeah, it's still an issue. But it's a totality of athleticism in terms of explosiveness and sort of speed is all is not only just the forty, but it's the broad jump and the vertical jump and the ten split and you know change of direction is short shuttle three cone. Like it's the totality of how a guy moves that is how you want to look at numbers, not just being like. Four, three, two, first round pick. Like that's that's lazy analysis. That's gonna do it. And now we'll jump to interviews with Bo Melton of Rutgers, one of my favorite day three receivers, and then Nick Benito of Oklahoma, someone who I think is gonna get that's gonna be a steal sometime on day two, day three. Do not call him. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is Rutgers wideout Bo Melton. Bo, I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time. You're one of my favorite receivers in this draft. Appreciate you jumping on. I appreciate you, Austin. How you doing? Doing good, man. Where I want to start is is your your origins here. You're a Jersey guy, four-star recruit coming out of Jersey. You got offers from Michigan, Boston College, some of these bigger Power 5 schools. You stay committed to Rutgers. Talk about that decision to stay in Jersey and, and commit to be a Scarlet Knight. Yeah, of course. Yeah, my parents went to uh, Rutgers, so my mom played basketball here. My dad uh, played football, so that had a lot to do with my decision. And I wanted to uh, maintain that legacy, you know, uh, just growing up is want to be follow after my dad's footsteps is be a football player and stay in Jersey. You see a lot of that athletic family background on your tape, and I think more people have seen that in this pre-draft process. Your testing numbers have been insane, but I want to talk a little bit more about your game at Rutgers. I think you have some of the better polish of a lot of receivers in this class as well. You've used mostly on the outside, but you were honestly, that entire Rutgers offense, right, used at the short and intermediate levels, also found ways to create separation deep. What would be some of the adjectives you'd use to describe your game and kind of what separates you on the football field, right? We could talk about your athleticism all day long, but what separates you on the football field from some of the other receivers in this class? Of course, yeah. I like to uh, create a lot of separation. I like to be crafty and versatile um, in my routes. And when I get the ball, I like to accelerate uh, yards after catch. I know um, that's important. And that's where I excel at my game, I think. And I think when I get the ball in my hands, I can do a lot of things with it. And, and I know you, in a recent interview, you brought up that, you know, you wanted to show teams that you're versatile, right? You had some opportunities in the slot at Rutgers, but you mostly played on the outside. When talking to teams, do they see you as this inside-outside versatility type of player? Do they have a specific role they want you to play in the NFL? You know, what, what's, uh, what's been those, what have those conversations been like? Yeah, a lot of inside, you know, slot, uh, crafty guy. Um, just, be, just because of being versatile, a lot of return man, a lot of special mm -hmm. teams also, and, and being able to uh, go outside also. So it's like, most conversations started uh, with inside, but still uh, times for outside also. And where would you say your game needs to improve the most, right? What are areas in your game that you feel will get so much better in the NFL, even those after talking with those teams? 
Yeah, uh, I think my route running will get uh, a lot better, you know, uh, talking to the teams, like being more fluent in the routes. And I think that will uh, enhance me when I get to the NFL, stuff like that. Do you ever have opportunities to watch film on NFL guys? Are there certain receivers in the NFL that you'll turn the tape on, look at, you know, look at their releases or how they attack the stem, all that stuff? Absolutely. I watch Devontae Adams a lot, Mari Cooper. Uh, those two guys uh, have phenomenal releases. You know, you watch their packages. You watch Devontae Adams, like separation people. You can mm-hmm. see it on in, in the film room, and I, and I watch him a lot. So. I talk to a lot of receiver prospects, and I have to be honest, Amari Cooper gets slept on, on ter- in terms of people that need to watch receivers. Everyone's like, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, and those guys are great, and I get that. Amari Cooper, I-, I don't know if people are just bored of watching his tape. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL. He's getting slept on. I think more people need to turn on his tape. How about your tape experience, or I guess your, your um, not tape experience, but what was your process like turning on opponent game, feel, uh, opponent game film there at Rutgers, right? When you're building up into a game week, would you turn on opposing corner tape? And, and when you did, you know, what were the things you looked for and what was that process like? Yeah, I always turn on corner tape. I'm going to go against mostly all game. If they're going to follow me or if we're going to uh, – they're one-sided boundary of field corners. I will always watch how they play, their indicators, um, what they do well, what they don't do so well, and I try to attack what they don't do so well and make them uncomfortable. So I just look at a lot of indicators when I go against other, other team, other opponents. I know some players and receivers especially will go back and watch their own tape as well and see, you know, would you ever go back and critique your own game maybe in the summer? Absolutely. I look at areas that I need a lot of improvement on or lead improvement on in general. You know, mm-hmm. I go watch uh, tape from the season, like the past season, and see what I did well and then see what I didn't do so well. And I will attack what I didn't do so well so my game will be uh, ready when the season comes. You brought up your dad early on. I kind of want to go back to that. I don't know. What what position did your dad play, and how how supportive has he been in this pre-draft process helping you out? Yeah, my dad played receiver. Uh, he was a bigger receiver. Well, he's about 6'1", about mm-hmm. 215. So he was a bigger receiver. Uh, he played like the X, X role. And he's been helping a lot during the process, you know. I talk to him all the time about uh, how it goes, and he tells me to enjoy the process. You know, he, he was a free agent in the league, played for the uh, uh, Washington. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure the the calls from NFL teams had to had to jump up a bit after your pro day and after you put on the insane insane testing numbers. Have that has that led to a lot more conversations with teams and a lot more meetings? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, just being able to put the numbers on uh, in the combine after pro day uh, kind of enhanced me a lot like in the sense of talking to a lot more teams, a lot more Zoom interviews, a lot more workouts. So just being able to do that helped me a lot. One more question for you, Bo, and I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time. Going into the NFL, you know, we talked to a lot of guys, and they set goals for themselves, right? Some are like, offensive rookie of the year. I want a, a 2,000 yards, whatever it is. Are there specific goals on the field or off the field that you want to prioritize going into your first season in the NFL? Yeah, everything first. You know, I, I just want to help the team, and that's, that's just my favorite way of, of putting it. And uh, wherever they put me out on the team, I want to be able to help them. And I know my abilities that – whatever God has for me, that, that will happen that year. But I just know going on into a team, I'll be able to help them tremendously, whoever team. Bo, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Well, thank you so much, Austin. Appreciate your time. Now joining the podcast is Nick Benito, former Oklahoma edge defender, one of my favorite prospects in this year's class. Nick, great to have you on the show. Yes, sir. Good to be here for sure. Let's start with this man. You have been one of the most productive players in the Big 12 over the past two or three seasons now, and I still feel like your name is not being brought up enough among the most productive edge players in this class. So, Do you feel like you're getting slept on a little bit in media coverage, and, and is that building what's going to be just this monstrous chip on your shoulder as you go into the NFL? 
Um, no doubt. I feel like I'm definitely being slept on. Um, you know, just because, you know, a lot of people, you know, they see me, they're, they're not, you know, I may have not the prototypical size of an edge rusher, but I mean, if you look at the production, um, if you look at my testing numbers, you know, I'm up there with a lot of those guys. So, I mean, it definitely, you know, it, it fuels me a little bit just to see, you know, I'm, under, I'm underrated. And, but I mean, you know, I just got to take with a grain of salt and uh, just keep doing me. So I bring up the production. I think that really does stand out in your kind of your profile, right? How productive you were as a pass rusher. Speak to your approach to watching tape and, and preparing in a given game week and what you look for for opposing offensive tackles as you put your pass rush plan together. And then I kind of want to talk about you know, what that pass rush plan looks like and how that all develops. Yeah, so usually my, my pass rush stuff will be like later in the week, like Wednesday, Thursday. You know, maybe I'll watch some film Friday that night before, but I mean, mostly just Wednesday and Thursday. So, um, you know, I mostly just look at tackles, you know, you know what they like to do with their hands. You know, are they, are they grabbers? Are they punchers? You know, are they patient in their sets? Do they like the quick sets sometimes? So um, just looking at different stuff that they like to do. And then I'll go usually, you know, based off of them, I'll have a pass rush plan that I go into with, you know, going into that week. So I'm just repping it all week. I'm just saying, you know, you know what they give me throughout, throughout, uh, you know, just watching them and going through their film and, you know, just how I can get an edge when it comes to, you know, going against uh, those tackles. And, and as you're putting those moves, that moves list together, right, and you go into a specific game, how do you set up certain pass rush moves? How do you counter off of that, right? How, what's that process like, you know, snap to snap? Yeah, um, first off, you know, I always want to start the game with speed. You know, I always want to test the offensive tackle, you know, when they get out their sets, um, you know, just, you know, how good they are getting out their sets. Can they move? You know, do they have good feet? Then, you know, I feel like if I'm beating them around the edge, you know, they're going to start playing me out there. So, you know, that's when you know, I really get into my bag. So um, that can come with counters, spins, you know, um, different things that, that can, you know, counter these offensive linemen and if they're threatened by my speed. Have teams talked to you about that as an obvious strength in your game, right? I know in those interviews, oftentimes they're putting you on the board and they're asking you, what do you see on this play? What do you see on this? What could you do better here? Well, what have some of the strengths been that they've spoke to when they highlight your game? Oh, definitely uh, my pass rush ability, you know, my speed, you know, my bend. You know, they, they've you know noticed that you know, not many people have that in this draft. You know, I'm up there with one of the best when it comes to my bend. So um, just that bend speed and, um, and an underrated power game as well. You know, there's sometimes you'll see, you know, I'll go to that speed to power and uh, some some reps and some games. So, I mean, um, just mostly my speed and my bend is, you know, kind of what separates me when they talk about me. In that same vein, where do they want to see you improve the most, right? Where do they think you get, your game can get better in the NFL? Yeah, um, you know, it was kind of hard to see just from, you know, talking to teams, you know, that, you know, how I play the run. Um, you know, it was already a question coming into the draft process, but it was even kind of weirder just because of the defense the, and the style of defense that we played at OU mm -hmm. um, with a lot of stunting and a lot of those things. So, um, you know, they're just curious to see if I can play the run. You know, it helped, you know, with my bench press numbers that, you know, they can see I'm a strong guy. But now it's just, you know, can he actually do it? Does he have the toughness to do it and things of that nature? What, what are, do you ever watch any NFL players to kind of take some stuff from their game? Who are some of your favorite NFL players to watch? Yeah, you know, my favorite guy is Lon Miller, easily. Um, when it comes to pass rushing and even playing the run, you know, he's disruptive in both of those things. Um, I watch a guy like Michael Parsons, you know, just because, you know, his versatility, you know, I have those same skill sets, you know, when, you know, having me having to spy the quarterback or, you know, having to drop in the coverage or rush the passer, you know, I feel like I can do all three. So, I mean, you know, just those two guys are the main ones. You know, obviously there's other guys like Shaq Barrett, you know, Sean Gary, Brian Burns. But those are the main two that I watch. 
You mentioned that um, you know you did a lot of stunts and, and your usage at Oklahoma. It's you know it kind of was different compared to how other players are playing the run. Is there a desired role or usage that you want in the NFL? Right? Have teams brought up how they want to deploy you in the NFL? Yeah, um, it just depends who I talk to. Some teams see me as a three-four outside linebacker. Some teams see me as a, a four-three end, and also a guy that can play will linebacker as well. So those are just mostly the three main positions I've been hearing. Last one for you, Nick, and I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time. What exactly are your goals going into your rookie season in the NFL? What do you want to come away from this next year having completed? Yes, sir. Um, you know, I just definitely want to be able to be a guy that's going to be dependable, a guy that can come in, compete right away, and no matter what role it is, whether it's special team or on defense, and, you know, you know, God willing, you know, be all rookie team, you know, along, and a lot of those things along that nature. So I'm um, just being an impactful player from day one. Awesome, Nick. Really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. Thank you.